Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we used to go to California every year. Uh, so when school got out, I was on a plane flying to Southern California to spend my whole summer in Southern California. Yeah, I know it could have been worse. Uh, wake up every morning and run to the beach, uh, spend the whole day in the waters and things like that. But then it came time for the end of the summer, right around this time of year. Uh, and then it's like, I got to go back to Detroit. I got to go back to school. But one of the highlights of going back to school was some back to school shopping. Uh, and so I don't know if you've ever been to L.A., but L.A. has or had, I don't know if they still have it, uh, but they had an area in downtown L.A. called the Garment District. Uh, and in the Garment District, you could go, and I'm going to be honest with you, as an adult looking back at it now, I'm not 100% sure that everything was on the up and up. Um, <laughs> but it was an alley that had a bunch of garage doors, and you just lifted up the garage doors, and you walked through boxes of things that had a Sharpie marker written on it, and it said what the thing was. Uh, and I remember going there one year when I was uh, a teenager. I want to say it was probably eighth or ninth grade. Uh, but my mom gave me $100 to be able to do my school shopping. And I'm like, all right. Remember, this is the uh, early 90s, so $100 went pretty far. Uh, you might be able to get a pair of socks for 100 bucks right now. Um, but we would go through and try to find things. And then you start to see deals. And it was like five t-shirts for 20 bucks or a hat for five dollars and it was you know it had the d on it but it didn't necessarily have the mlb logo on it and all those things but i remember going through and spending my hundred dollars and walking out at the end of the day with arms full of bags full of clothes and i'm like yes i'm going to school i'm gonna be looking right it's gonna be perfect i get home i lay all my stuff out for my first week or two of school and i'm ready to start school so then i start to wear the clothes and then I start to wash the clothes. And what once was black was now blue. And where the patch of the logo was, uh, it kind of started to peel off. And where the seam was, started to tear. And where I originally thought that I was getting over on those suckers, I realized that I was the sucker. Um, it was a hard thing to go through. It was a hard thing to, to deal with. It was that, man, I thought I actually had something. I thought that I was going to be able to, to, to look good in school and, and all those things, but now I don't have it. What, turned out, what it turned out to be was a bad investment. What it turned out to be was a bad belief in what I was getting. Now, for that, the reality was lost about 100 bucks some time and a little bit of pride. But what happens when you forsake what's real and exchange it for a lie? Exchange it for something that you thought was the truth, that you were hoping was right, that you were hoping was the truth, that you were hoping was God. A lot of people will spend their entire lives Chasing after things, chasing after people, chasing after work, chasing after all these things that they think will provide them with life. But in the end, there is only one God. In the end, there is only one who can provide life. And so I want to go through a, uh, a particular portion of scripture 
so that you might be able to fully understand that there are a lot of ways that we turn to the left and to the right when God says go straight. There are a lot of times where we find ourselves where our eyes are attracted to the things of this world and we miss out on him. So I want you to turn again to First Kings. And we've been in First Kings uh, just kind of looking at the life of Elijah. And we've been utilizing Elijah as a template for potentially how we are to move forward as a believer. Uh, Elijah, he showed up on the scene in the in the previous chapter in chapter 17, and he just is there and he begins to speak to the king Ahab, who is a wicked king, a really wicked king who has a really wicked wife. And they are leading the nation of Israel into some pretty bad things. And Elijah steps on the scene and he says, because of the wickedness, the Lord is going to shut up the rain. That there will be no rain, no provision for the agricultural community that they are in. And Elijah says it like this, until I say so. Now, Elijah is taking this moment. He's speaking for the Lord. He is prophetically speaking. And as he is speaking this on behalf of the Lord, what begins to happen is rain ceases. Just as the Lord said. As the rain comes, as as the rain holds back, it challenges the very nature of what Ahab and his wife Jezebel believe. What Ahab and Jezebel believe is that the rain and the provision is coming from the new God that they are worshiping, Jezebel's God, Baal. And as they are worshiping Baal, they think that Baal is providing this rain and providing the prosperity for the kingdom. And God says, let me show you where the rain comes from. I'll stop this thing so that you know that it doesn't matter how often or how frequently or how loudly you worship Baal. It's not going to start. So as he predicts this arrival of drought, Elijah, we we see now in, in, in chapter 18, he's about to go into this very miraculous situation. Uh, it's a monumental epic story. I'm surprised it was not turned into a movie just yet. I would really love to see this as a movie. Maybe we should call uh, Angel Production Studios and see if this can be the next uh, in their series of of movies. Uh, But this is a pretty interesting situation. But Elijah is able to do some pretty remarkable things. And one of the reasons is because he has seen already the faithfulness of God. Number one, he has seen the faithfulness of God in how the rain has stopped. But then after the rain had stopped and there became a famine in the land, God provided for him by sending him ravens to feed him food. And it provided a brook. God provided a brook for him to be able to drink from. And as that brook dried up, God sent him along to speak to a woman in another city. And he goes and he speaks to her and she begins to provide. But not only does she begin to provide, but he performs a particular miracle so that she would have faith in the Lord. He keeps her uh, jar full of oil and her container full of wheat, full of flour, so that she can consistently make cakes, even though there is no more wheat or flour in the land, even though there is no more oil in the land. It kept flowing for her. And in the process of things, her son dies. 
And as her son dies, Elijah performs this miracle by going and taking her son and praying over him, submitting him to the Lord and saying, Lord, would you do this work and bring this son, this child back to life? And he sees this child come back to life and he brings him back to his mother and says, here is your son. And then she begins to worship the Lord. So Elijah has at this point seen a track record of God being faithful to his word. And so we come to a very, very tough point. That now Elijah is showing back up on the scene. He has been hidden since he has proclaimed drought over the entire region. But Elijah is stepping back into the scene and he's going to have to face Ahab. And let's see what happens. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we look at verse number one. Um, I'm going to forewarn you. There's a lot here. All right. So I need you guys to stick with me. All right. Read, read through with me. All right. It's 40 verses. All right. We can do this. We can do this. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. That is pretty amazing. I'm just going to just toss this one right there. He already knows that Ahab is upset with him and is looking for him. But God says, go and show yourself to Ahab. And he says, "Okay." Just the obedience of Elijah. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria. I need you to remember that it was severe. And Ahab called Abadiah who was over the household. Now, Abadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, Abadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifties in a cave and fed them with bread and water. In the middle of a famine, this man of God fed the prophets that he was hiding with bread and water. There is no water because it's a drought and there is no bread because it's a famine. But Abadiah who feared the Lord was faithful in doing this thing to preserve the prophets of God. And Ahab said to Abadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water into all the valleys. Perhaps we may find grass and save the horses and mules alive and not lose some of the animals. So they divided the land between them and passed through it. Ahab went in one direction by himself and Abadiah went in another direction by himself. And as Abadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him and Abadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, is it you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he said, how have I sinned that you would give your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom or nation that they had not found you. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you to I know not where. And so when I come and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. Although I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth, has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord? 
How I hid a hundred, a hundred men of the Lord's prophets by fifties in caves and fed them with bread and water. And now you say, go, tell your Lord, behold, Elijah is here and he will kill me. And Elijah said, you guys think he's worried about being killed? I mean, it's just, this is just how crazy Ahab is uh, and, and how irritated he is with Elijah. Verse 15, he says, and Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. So Abadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Now, this is a pretty dynamic scene. Again, this is Elijah stepping into this moment, knowing that there is basically a bounty on his head. But when he comes back, he's coming because of the direction of the Lord. I want to encourage you that when God is giving you direction, walk boldly in that. Walk boldly in that because you know that if God is pointing you in a particular direction, then God has the protection and provision available for you to walk in that direction. Elijah is doing something not because he is a man without fear, but because he is a man who trusts the Lord. And those two things can happen simultaneously. You can have fear in your heart, but still trust the Lord. And what you need to make sure you're doing is not following after the fear, but you're following after the trust that you have in God. Now, what's interesting is that in all this famine, as it has become so severe in all of the land, one of the things that we see is that Ahab has still not gotten his mind correct. He has been corrupted by the idols that he has worshipped. Idols corrupt our lives. When we are focused on the wrong things, when we are focused on things that are not producing life like the Lord. These idols had corrupted him so much so that he was unwilling to repent, even though he knew that this was a prophecy from the Lord. Not just because of Elijah, but this was a prophecy from the Lord given to Moses. So in Deuteronomy, it says it like this. Deuteronomy 11, 16, 17. God says to his people through Moses, take care, lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the ground, off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Moses had already laid out this warning and Ahab is in the midst of this. Yet he still did not relent. His heart was so corrupted. I want you guys to did you did you miss the thought that they were they were killing the prophets. They were letting the people die. And Ahab's concern was for who? Was for the horses. Ahab's concern was for his military might and for his provision of his animals. So he valued the animals above the people. 
He valued his military over the people of God. Over the people of God. I need you to make sure you get that part. Don't value the things of this world. Don't value the things that you view as the way that I'm going to make it above the things of this world. All right, now I'm nervous to say something. We're going to make it work. We're going to make it work. But this was his chance to repent. He's in the middle of the famine. And here's the thing is, Elijah the prophet is the one who pronounced that this famine was coming. And when he announced that this famine was coming, he said, until I say so. So now Ahab gets to meet Elijah face to face. And what does he do? He doesn't repent. He doesn't ask Elijah to make atonement for him, to offer a sacrifice to him. Instead, what does he do? He accuses him. This is all your fault. Elijah, this is your fault. You're the one that is causing trouble to the people of Israel. You're the one who is bringing this famine on us. And Elijah says, it was not me. It was never me. Elijah says, this was always you. And this was the sin of your fathers. This was the sin of your parents. And you have not stopped the sin, the continual sin of your parents. So Ahab goes through this back and forth with Elijah in regards to whose responsibility this is. But Elijah decides, you know what? We'll go ahead and conclude this whole thing. I want you to get all your prophets together, all the ones who are leading you, all the ones who are teaching you in this incorrect way. Go get all of them, 450 of them. Go get the extra ones. Go get the ones who are worshiping Baal's female counterpart, Asherah. Go get them too. 850 of them all together. And we'll see who really is the Lord on high. Because apparently in all of your worship to these idols, you have become blind. You have misstepped in your ways. But I also want to, to, to interject this. I want you to think about how many times do we feel like we can't serve somebody even though we know they're wrong? Abadia does something very interesting. He continues to serve Ahab even in his wrongness and even with his heart turned towards the Lord. He is doing the Lord's work while still being submissive to his corrupt master. We struggle with that. If my boss is not the most godly, well, this doesn't work on me. Uh, if your boss is not the most godly person, can you still serve them? Can you still do your job with a pure heart? Can you still honor God in the midst of your job? Abadi is a remarkable man. He says, I have served the God since my youth. And I still honor him now. I still serve him now. But Ahab is crazy. And I really don't want to die, but Elijah, I need you to be, be for real with me. Are you going to stick around? Are you going to, to, to help me in this? So he has this faith to serve these hundred prophets 
And he does this remarkable thing, even though he knows it could eventually cost him his life if Jezebel finds out about this. But he does it because he wants to honor the Lord. So I'm encouraging you to honor the Lord, no matter where you find yourself. Because just as God has been faithful to Abadiah and kept him and provided for him and provided for him being able to do the right things, God will provide for you to be able to do the right things. Honor the Lord above anyone else. Amen. But Ahab is so focused on what he wants to get accomplished. He's so focused on this idol. He's so focused on these things that he wants to get done. And it's not too far from where we are. We get focused on our own particular idols. We get focused on the idol of self. The idol of self. The idol of self. That is an idol. And I know it's, it's hard for some people to hear in this era of self-care above all. It's the same thing that Ahab is doing. Ahab is trying to take care of himself. He's trying to make sure that he is protected. He's trying to make sure that his animals and he himself has provision, that he doesn't have to worry about it, that there's as little stress in his life as possible. And so he doesn't want to have to follow after the things of the Lord because those things might be stressful or they might cause him to have to trust God more. So there are a couple idols I want to bring up. One is self. One is security. I'm doing these things so that I might have security, financial security, personal security. I'm not trusting the Lord for those things. Approval from other people. That's a false idol. We can idolize relationships or being in a relationship or finding someone to be in a relationship. We can elevate those things. Success, wealth, even health. We can elevate that above everything else. Food, intellect, comfort. These are idols that we readily submit to. We readily put above the things of the Lord. If you worship money, your life will be corrupted by greed. You'll lack generosity. If you worship relationships, your life will be corrupted by the willingness to do whatever is necessary to make that relationship work. If you worship success, then your life will be corrupted by a workaholic mentality. You'd be willing to sacrifice anything so that you can achieve success. If you worship your home country, then you'd be willing to accept and do anything so that your country is successful on the world stage. All these things we can elevate above the Lord because God is not the God of one country. God is the God of all of humanity, of all creation. And so in everything, we are not to elevate anything under creation above the creator. And we have the privilege of worshiping God in those things. It's easy for us to judge Ahab as an idolater. It's easy for us to judge him as a worshiper of Baal. And the false gods. But what are we worshiping? What is the God of your heart? What is the God of your mind? What is the God that you are placing above him? We're asking. I'm asking. God is asking. That you would do an evaluation of yourself to figure out exactly what have you said yes to? What have you listened to more than you have listened to him? And what is quite often the situation is that we are turning to other things first 
before we turn to God. When you're tired, when you're down, when you're feeling just, I just don't want to do it today. What do you do? You whip out your phone and start scrolling through something and try to figure out, I just want to see what's going on in the world today. You pull out your phone and call somebody and say, I just need somebody to talk to. I just need somebody to vent to. You know you're going through certain things and you know that you should be turning to the Lord, but do you? Do you look up at Sunday morning, walking up the steps of the church? And I'm not trying to guilt you into this. I'm just trying to bring awareness to the human condition. Do you walk up the stairs of the church and realize that I have not cracked open my Bible since the last time I was in this building? I used to love this little thing that um, uh, the Bible app had, and it was a street tracker. And I remember that I was like on top of it. And one day I looked up and it was like 374 weeks streak of of reading your Bible. And I'm like, yes, yes. And then I went on vacation and I came back and I went to read my Bible and it was like zero. I don't even want to use this app anymore. We need to turn to the Lord. What's stealing your affections from God? So one of the other things that we see here in the scripture is that idols have no life, but yet we still find ways to worship them. Let's take a look at that. Verse number 20 says, so Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Here's the thing. It's not Jesus' end. It's not Jesus' end. I know we feel like that's the way that life can work. That Jesus allows us to still do all of these other things. It's follow Jesus alone. It's an exclusivity. It's a monotheistic faith. There is no other God besides Yahweh. And if there is no other God beside Yahweh, then why would you listen and follow after the things that Yahweh said don't follow after? And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They were spending their time honoring God, going to temple, doing those things. Oh, we are the people of God. We are the people of God. But they were still worshiping them because their king was. Because everybody around them was. Because the major religion at the time was focusing on Baal and Asherah. And they were just falling in line even though they knew they were Hebrew people. Even though they knew they were saved by the Lord. Even though they knew that God had done miraculous things in their past. So what do we see? Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I alone, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 So let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the and the God who answers by fire. He is God. And all the people answered. That makes sense to us. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourselves one bull. Go ahead. You guys start off and prepare it first for you are many. 
and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given to them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they limped around the altar. They were dancing around the altar that they had made. And they had made that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, cry aloud, for he is God. Cry louder. Maybe he's thinking. Maybe he went to the bathroom. He's relieving himself. Maybe he's on a journey. Or maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened. And so they did. So they cried louder. And they cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening. Oblation, the offering of oblation is the offering in the evening. But there was no voice and no one answered and no one paid attention. Now, here's the thing I also want to bring out in the midst of this is that as they are calling out to God, they are chanting and they are dancing. They are going through all of these rituals to try to get their God to respond and answer. You don't have to do a ritual to get the living God to respond to you. You don't have to say the same thing over and over in a chant. You don't have to do those things to get his ear. You don't have to dance around to get God to notice you. He has already seen you. He, is already, he already knows you. This is what Elijah does. Elijah said to the people, hey, everybody come closer because it's just me. It's not 850. It's just me. So everybody gather around so you can see. Everybody come closer and all the people came near to him and they repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. There was previously an altar to worship God here on Mount Carmel. And it had most likely been destroyed once Jezebel had sent word that there are to be no prophets of Yahweh. And so Elijah repairs that. But how does he repair it? He repairs it. And he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He took the thing that they remembered. He took the thing that reminded them of the faithfulness of God when he had brought them through the Red Sea. They were to carry 12 stones from the bottom of the sea, the bottom of the sea so that they would remember God's faithfulness. And Elijah takes these 12 stones and he builds an altar to the God who was always faithful. To remind the people God has been consistently faithful. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain about two seas of seed or 14 quarts of of seed or water. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water. Now, this is something extra. The Baals, they didn't do this. But he said, go get a bunch of jars of water. He said, fill four jars of water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, now do it a second time. And then he said, and they went ahead and did it. And he said, now do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and it filled the trench. 
That area, that water, everything there was so drenched. And the reason why they wanted to do this is because he wants to do this is to make sure that not a flicker in the air, not dry heat, nothing could spark it. It had to be a move of God. And at the time of the offering of the oblation and the evening offering. Now, here's the thing is Elijah even got to the point of the evening where it was traditional to make sacrifices to Yahweh. Elijah, again, is being obedient to God and what he has called for. And he is about to make this offering to the Lord. But here's what he does. Elijah, the prophet, came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel. I'm calling upon the God I have relationship with, the God who has spoken, the God who has moved. And I'm asking you, oh God, that you would move now because I have a relationship with you, because I have faith in you, because you have shown up. He says, and I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. He is following after the instruction of God. And he says, answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. He is doing all of this production so that the people, not that he might be blessed, not that he might ascend to become king, not that he might be known as the great prophet, but so that the people would turn their hearts and worship him again. There is a pureness to what he is asking God. He is asking God, I just want your people to worship you again. I'm hoping that I don't look like a fool, but I'm willing to, be, to look like a fool as long as you are glorified, God. And so it says, oh, Lord, our God, that you have turned their hearts back. In verse 38, it says, then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, not just the bull and the wood and the stones and the dust. And it licked up all the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. When they saw this move of God, when they saw the faithfulness of Elijah, when they saw God step into their reality, they began to worship him again. This is all that Elijah wanted from the very beginning before the drought even started. It was, I just want you to worship God. Ahab, if you would just turn your heart back to God, all the rain would stop. All the rain would come back. People of the Lord, if you would just turn your hearts back to God, we don't have to go through any of this stuff. But we're going through all of this trouble. We're going through all of these issues. Why? Because our hearts are far from him. And if God has to step into this moment to remind you of his faithfulness, he is a living God that will do it. Elijah is not sitting there chanting. Elijah is not sitting there dancing. Elijah calls upon the God who hears. Elijah calls upon the God who lives. And when he calls upon the God who lives, the God who lives and the God who hears answers. He doesn't just answer in any regular way. He answers in a spectacular way so that all those who see, all those who are around, they now know God. One of the things I want you to understand is that idols have no life. But not only do idols have no life, 
but idols also will take your life. In the process, in the pursuit of idols, you will end up expending everything that you have and everything that you are to try to get them to move and they will do absolutely nothing. I remember a season in my life where I was working for a financial services company and I loved working there. It was a great place to work and everybody knew it was a great place to work. And I really did love working there. But here was a problem. I was averaging 12 hours a day at work, six days a week. I was a newlywed. Not only was I a newlywed, but my wife was pregnant and we had one car. And I worked an hour away from our house. And so over time, working in this job of what I was trying to provide financially for my family, provide financial success for my family, I was pursuing and doing what is normally a good thing, right? That's normally a good thing that, hey, man, that guy's providing for his family. That's a great thing. He should keep doing that. But in the process of doing those things, I realized that I was sacrificing what was most important to me. I wasn't spending time at church like I was, like I previously was. I definitely wasn't spending time with my family, with my wife, the way I had been. And what was worse is I was leaving her to sit in the car waiting for me while she was pregnant. Making her drive back and forth. Something's not working here. Something has to go. Something has to give up. Either I have to give up this pursuit of financial success that I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get to. Or I have to give up my family. And I remember talking to my boss about it and he said, well, just buy her something nice with your bonus check. She'll be OK. That was his real response. Just buy her something nice. She'll be OK. Needless to say, I didn't continue on in that job. But that's hard for people to make those decisions. It's hard for people to walk away from the things that they feel like they are getting value at. It's jobs that you may be working or relationships that you may be in or practices and processes that you may have that you may need to let go of because you are valuing those things for your success for your uh, approval, for your acceptance more than you are going to God. God consistently shows you that he loves you. God consistently shows you that he approves of you. One of the reasons you know that is because you can talk to him and he will respond. He is the God who lives. He is not an idol that has no life and he is not an idol that takes life. Now, what's interesting is that we see in 28 that they are cutting themselves and they're trying to provoke Baal to move. And what ends up happening is because of their commitment to Baal and because they would not turn to Yahweh, they end up losing their life. They end up losing their life because they are so far committed and corrupted by the worship of these idols. Now, you and I are no different than Ahab or these prophets of Baal. We can spend our whole life committed to doing these things that are not honoring to God so much so that our whole identity, our life becomes wrapped up in these things. I was talking with a guy and we were, we were talking about football and we were recounting stories of how many football players find themselves so wrapped up in the identity of sport. 
That when the time comes to step away and retire from the game, they're not sure who they are anymore. I have been so much so a football player for all of my life. Now that I am not playing the game of football, who am I? What am I? What do I have? People who hold on to their careers because that's all they've ever known. If I'm not a doctor, then who am I? Pastors. If I'm not a pastor, then who am I? I remember a season before I came here to Woodside, I wrestled with that. Because I was not in any church on staff actively pastoring. And I began to question, am I really a pastor? People would still call me Pastor Fickray and I just didn't feel right about it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not a pastor anymore. It's not who I am. What are you holding on to more than you are holding on to God? I want to end in this. The Lord God is alive and he hears you and he wants you. But he is setting up an altar. We sang a little bit about that altar. He is setting up an altar so that you, just like Elijah, can make sacrifice. And that sacrifice is not of a bull. That sacrifice is not set aflame. That sacrifice is crucified. Now, Jesus, he was crucified so that we would not have to be apart from the father. All of us. He opened the door for those who were not Hebrew, those who did not have a covenant with him. He opened a new covenant through the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. And he opened up the doorway that if you would also make that sacrifice, if you would also place your life upon the altar, that he would give you new life, that he would respond to you, that he would give you a life eternal, that he would give you a life of abundance in him. And that's what I'm asking you today, that you don't have to go up to Mount Carmel, but you do have to go to the cross. He says, take up your cross daily. That you would die to yourself and that you would accept the provision that comes in Christ Jesus. I don't know where you are today in your faith. I don't know whether you are able to walk boldly as Elijah is or you walked in here today and said, I don't even know the God that these people are worshiping. But you can know him today. You can know him today. All you have to do is call upon him. Just in the same way, Elijah called out and said, oh, Lord, hear me. Would you call out to him today? Hear me. Jesus said all those or or Paul said all those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know what you need to be saved from. You might need to be saved from an idol of an addiction. Jesus saves. You might need to be saved from the idol of self. Jesus saves. You might need to be saved from the idol of comfort. Jesus saves. But you have to call upon.